0: Chapter 13. Penderwinkle's Premonition It was just past 6pm when Perry Penderwinkle checked into his hotel in West Harlem, a few blocks south of where he'd met with Bernie earlier. He waited until after 7 to make his call into work, apologizing profusely in the message he left on Nesson's answering machine. Perry made sure to mention that he would not be in until the end of the week at best, but more than likely he'd be out until Monday and he'd have his phone off the hook so that he could rest and recuperate more efficiently. Now that his bases were covered, Perry went across the street and ordered McDonald's. Fast food had always been a guilty pleasure. He was not a heavy drinker or smoker, and had never had much of a sweet tooth. But something about fast food was irresistible. It satisfied a deep craving in him, especially when he was under a great deal of stress. Fast food was his vice, and McDonald's was his drug of choice. The salty fries, the double patty hamburger, the cola that came in a cup the size of a half gallon of milk. He loved it all. When he returned to his cheap hotel room, Perry stretched out on the bed, switched on the television, and consumed his McDonald's. Perry couldn't help but notice how very American he felt for the first time. He thought he might even stay up late and watch The Tonight Show, With nowhere to be tomorrow, Perry relished the opportunity to finally and truly relax after what had been a long and taxing two days. And relax he did. His meal finished. He let the low, constant drone of the television lull him into a deep sleep. Perry opened his eyes, only to see the television screen filled with static. He had spilled ketchup on his shirt "'and fries lit at the top of his hotel bedspread. "'A wadded-up hamburger wrapper lay next to him. "'He had been more tired than he thought, "'falling asleep before he could even finish his meal. "'Perry felt groggy and a little sluggish as he sat up. "'The room was darker than he remembered it. "'He looked around the room "'and saw the lamp on the nightstand flickering ever so slightly "'as the bulb was beginning to die.' Penderwinkle hoisted himself up from the bed and walked over to change the television channel. He tried channels four, five, seven, and nine, but the screen still showed only static. He turned off the television and headed to the bathroom. As he passed the front door, Perry glanced down at a pair of black wingtips sitting by the door. Why on earth did I bring those with me in my bag? Come to think of it, I don't remember packing these, Perry thought. Strange. He continued on into the bathroom, searching blindly in the dark for a light switch that seemed hell-bent on not being found. When he did find it, it was not a switch but a cord hanging from the ceiling. Pulling the cord, Perry Penderwinkle filled the room with light. The sense of relief at finally turning on the lights was short-lived, for the lights revealed the presence of another person standing directly behind Perry. And not just anyone... It was none other than Marcus Ingram. Hello, Perry, the voice uttered menacingly. Perry Penderwinkle was paralyzed. He could not utter a sound. He could not move if he tried with all his might, so great was his terror. Marcus. He had found Perry already. You thought you could outrun me, Perry, but your time of reckoning has come, old boy. The voice threatened. You can't outrun me. Perry felt something cold pressed slowly against the middle of his back. He knew what it was before he heard Marcus remove the safety. Perry closed his eyes. Say goodbye, Mr. Penderwinkle. In three, two, one... Perry's eyes opened with a start as he gasped for breath. He was no longer in the bathroom, but stretched out on his hotel bed. The television was on as an infomercial for specialty knives droned on in the background. His cola lay tipped over on the floor, half its contents having stained the ragged green shag carpet. Perry leaned over the end of the bed to check the front door. The shoes were gone. Penderwinkle stood up, warily, and approached the bathroom. Its door opened only a crack. Perry kicked it with his foot. The door swung in to reveal a small, empty bathroom. With no one inside, Perry let out a desperate sigh of relief. He had been dreaming. Tired as he was, Penderwinkle tried to stay up another hour before falling back asleep. His heart still racing, he could not shake the feeling that falling asleep again would only bring more nightmares. In the end, though, Perry could not outlast his own exhaustion, and in the wee hours of the morning, sleep overtook him. Luckily for Perry Penderwinkle, this was a dreamless sleep, which lasted almost until noon. Little did Perry know, this would be his last good night of sleep for a long while. Chapter 14, Perry's Plan When Perry finally awoke the next morning, he was surprised to realize that his room was fully lit, the sunlight pouring in through the half-broken blinds. It was nearly noon, and he had slept for almost nine hours. He was wearing the same clothes he'd arrived in, shoes and all. It was a testament to how tired he was that he'd slept so long under these conditions, for Perry Penderwinkle was a notoriously light sleeper, prone to insomnia. He couldn't remember how many times he'd been awakened from his slumber due to Marjorie breathing too loudly beside him in their bed. And living in Manhattan had brought on a whole new host of nighttime noises and disturbances. Even with the loud air conditioner and fan running in his room through the night, Perry still found himself awoken, unable to fall asleep for one, two, sometimes three hours at a time. But as luck would have it, he had found a way to sleep through the night, and this Perry counted as a blessing. It was about time something worked in his favor. But what to do with the rest of his day? He could not stay in the hotel room for the next six to eight hours. He knew he'd go stir-crazy, in his haste to flee his apartment. Perry hadn't thought to bring anything with him other than the essentials—clothing, shoes, toiletries. He hadn't had the time or foresight to grab even a book to take with him. But then, keeping himself entertained had seemed the least of his worries during the initial panic and thrill of being on the run— But now, here he sat on the edge of the bed, pondering what his next move would be. Did he return to work? Did he do as Bernadette Dotrice had suggested and head back to England? Perhaps Perry should take a long vacation to some out-of-the-way place up north. He knew Vermont was quite rural, and the forests were said to be very beautiful. Surely he could find a house to rent there for a few months... He'd see if he could hunker down and wait it out until Marcus gave up trying to find him. Unless, of course, Marcus did not give up. And the longer Marcus was free to roam about, the more opportunities he would have to sow seeds of doubt into the minds of those he knew. Marcus could be quite convincing when he wanted to be. People like Philippa and Bernadette wanted to believe him, whether the evidence supported his side of the story or not. Marcus was... "'though Perry hated to admit it. "'Just so bloody charming. "'Perry could recall countless incidents over the years "'when Marcus had made some great blunder or offended someone, "'but he'd always charm his way out of the situation. "'The man seemed to be able to get away with damn near anything. "'At times, Perry hated him for it, "'and now was certainly one of those times. "'No,' Perry decided, "'I'll not run from Marcus.' If he ran, it would only give Marcus Ingram more opportunities to poke holes in the case that had sent him to prison. It was possible that Marcus would make a mistake and get himself caught again, but this was not something Perry could plan on. It fell upon Perry Penderwinkle to handle this situation once and for all. He would find Marcus Ingram and deal with him himself. The two of them had unfinished business, as Perry saw it, and it was time to tie up loose ends. Perry Penderwinkle must play into Marcus's hand. He knew that Marcus was looking for him, so why not make himself easy to find? Then, when the trap was set, Marcus would find Perry Penderwinkle right when he wanted to be found. Yes, he thought. Why waste the time searching for Marcus? Let him come to me. Let him think he's got me right where he wants me. "'But I'll be waiting, old chum. I'll be waiting.'" Chapter 15. Penderwinkle Pestered The next morning, Perry strolled into the office at half-past seven, making sure to take the main elevator up so that he could walk the most public route to his office. He exchanged pleasantries with a few colleagues who had already arrived and relayed a heroic tale of food poisoning and a night in the emergency room. He enjoyed seeing the reactions from his colleagues, most of whom he had only spoken to on a handful of occasions. Nevertheless, he relished their well-wishes and congratulations on a return to health. It was only a couple minutes past 8 a.m. when Martin Nesson came rushing into Perry's office in a whirlwind. There was a look of great relief on the man's tired, constantly worried face. "'He has returned!' Nesson proclaimed dramatically, arms raised in the air as he stood in the doorway to Perry's office. "'Oh, Mr. Penderwinkle, you had us worried sick. We were afraid something terrible had happened to you. I thought, surely not another fall, not again. I know how treacherous these streets can be for our senior citizens, Mr. Penderwinkle. One broken arm is bad enough, but can you imagine if you'd fallen and broken the other? Oh, what a nightmare that would be.' "'Indeed, Martin,' Perry agreed politely.' but I'm afraid it was nothing so exciting as that. The culprit was food poisoning. Yes, I heard, and a trip to the emergency room. Well, Mr. Penderwinkle, you do seem to have a flair for the dramatic, Nesson said, chuckling at his own observation, a little too enthusiastically for Perry's taste. Penderwinkle managed to muster up a good-natured chuckle in response. You don't know the half of it, he thought. Let's hope the coming weeks are a bit less dramatic for me, then. "'I certainly wouldn't mind one or two fewer trips to the hospital,' Perry jested. "'I'll tell you, Perry. I hope I can call you that,' Nesson began, looking to Perry for approval. Perry nodded. "'That's what I like about you, that optimistic spirit. It can't be easy changing careers at your age, moving to a new country, surrounded by workers half your age. It took all Perry's self-control not to roll his eyes as Nesson attempted to flatter his ego, albeit in a backhanded way.' "'A broken arm, a night in the hospital. "'I don't know how I'd manage, but look at you. "'You've not a care in the world. "'Good for you, Perry. Good for you. "'You're an example to us all,' Nesson ended with a thumbs-up and a self-satisfied grin. "'Thank you for the kind words, Nesson,' Perry responded. "'Truly, like I said, I hope now things will return to normal, "'and I can do my job without a lot of unnecessary distractions.' "'Nesson nodded enthusiastically at Perry, still standing in the doorway.' And speaking of distractions, I think I'd best be getting back to work. I've got a, quite a bit of catching up to do, hinted Penderwinkle. Nesson checked his wristwatch as if he had just remembered the time. Very good, Perry. Don't let me stop you. I've got to head up to a meeting with Miss Dolan on 47 anyway, Nesson said, turning to leave. Door open or close, Perry. Closed, please. You've got it. Pulling the door closed behind him, Nesson called back. And if you need anything, Perry, you just let us know. Perry nodded and gave a half-hearted wave as Nesson pulled the door shut. Exhausting, thought Penderwinkle. Thank God his office isn't on this floor or I'd never get any work done. A knock on the door. Perry dropped his head into his hands in dismay and called out wearily. Yes, Nesson, come in. The door creaked open. Sorry to disturb you, Mr. Penderwinkle, a voice apologized. Penderwinkle looked up. A middle-aged woman was standing by the door. She was one of his colleagues who worked in one of the cubicles out in the main area by the elevators. He couldn't for the life of him remember her name. "'I hope you're not in the middle of something,' she said. "'No, no, it's fine. What can I do for you, Miss...?' Penderwinkle trailed off, unable to remember her name. "'Blasson,' she reminded him. "'Rosemary Blasson. We've met once or twice. I sit out in one of the cubicles near the elevators?' "'Yes, of course, Rosemary. My apologies. I should have remembered.' Penderwinkle conceded. It's quite all right, Mr. Penderwinkle. I've just come by because you had a couple calls while you were out sick. She looked down at a notepad and continued. And Mr. Cranley, he said he was just returning your call about sending over some documents you'd requested. Cranley, Perry thought. I suppose he's calling to inform me that Marcus has escaped. And then your sister Philippa called. That was just yesterday afternoon. I've written down both their numbers for you, she said, walking over and placing the note on his desk. Thank you very much, Rosemary. Greatly appreciated. You're welcome. And they both requested you call them back at your earliest convenience. She turned on her heels and headed for the door. Have a good day, Mr. Penderwinkle, she chimed, closing the door as she exited. Philippa. Good. She knows where I work. I suspect Marcus will know soon enough if she hasn't told him already. Penderwinkle had hoped for another couple of days to formulate a plan to set his trap. He no longer had that luxury. Perry had to assume that Marcus would attempt to make contact at any time now. Perhaps today, maybe tomorrow. The sooner Perry Penderwinkle could be ready for his arrival, the better. As for Cranley, he'd call his old friend back in a couple of days. There was little help Cranley could offer from all the way over in England, and Perry was not about to cross the pond, putting his safety in the hands of the service. England was too small a place and Perry had too many enemies who'd be more than happy to hand him over to Marcus Ingram. Tonight, Perry would return to his apartment, gather up the rest of his things, and bring them to the office. It would be his home base. Not even Marcus would be foolish enough to confront Perry in such a public place. He was, after all, a fugitive and a convicted murderer. The law would be on the side of Penderwinkle, and Marcus could not take that risk. He'd more than likely look for a way to get Perry somewhere isolated, somewhere away from large crowds of people, away from potential witnesses who could later identify him. Perhaps a street corner at night, a back alleyway, in the hallway to Perry's apartment building. The office would be the safest place for the time being. Marcus would have to wait him out until the moment that Perry finally emerged from the safety of his fortress. And when he did, Perry Penderwinkle would be ready.